Cage 3650 Physiology of Exercise Lecture, Thursday, September 2nd, 2010, Creatine Supplementation and Loading. After looking at the class schedule, I don't think I'm going to have time today to talk about the journal article assignment the way I want to, so I'm bumping it from Tuesday further on to Thursday. Okay? So, nice long weekend, no assignment due. You can take the day off Monday, at least from my class. Okay? Uh, I, I will update and reflect that on the schedule online. Okay? I haven't yet, but I'll, I'll put that on there. So, plan your week because you'll have the first segment of the journal article due on Thursday, and you'll have your first lab write-up due on Friday. Okay? So, just make sure you plan for that. Okay. When we finished last time, we were talking about creatine phosphate. Uh, we just, just went over its characteristics. It's a one-step chemical reaction. It's very fast. Its main purpose, which it accomplishes very quickly, is to rephosphorylate ATP. Okay, So that we can uh, uh, maintain our ATP levels to keep up our energy levels in the muscle so we can continue to do things like this high-intensity exercise. Um, one of the downsides of this energy system we saw, though, is that it is in limited supply. And so creatine phosphate can be substantially depleted pretty rapidly if you use this energy system at a high rate. Okay? So creatine phosphate, we break it down. We give it uh, a phosphate group and the energy to ADP to rephosphorylate ATP, and what we have left is creatine. Okay? Yes? Uh, I had a question. You were talking about ATP. Yes. It can't be pushed for the 70% mark. Yes. Unless, um, by using the uh, electrical stimulus. Right. Does that include like, drugs like PCP and stuff like that? Um, it does. Because you still, e even though there are, um, well, I suppose really high amounts of certain drugs could possibly result in uh, essentially a type of muscle rigor that could push it down a little below that. But uh, if that were to happen, it would have to be a, such a hyper-contracted state of rigor that there would actually be muscle damage. Okay. Um, there are some things about, you know, how... Um, under the influence of certain drugs or under certain situations, people have been known to exhibit uh, what we call superhuman strength, if you will. There are some theories related to that. It's probably associated with a little bit more use of ATP in a muscle, but um, probably not a whole lot. So you still don't push it down real far. And you guys have seen ads for some of these different types of exercise equipment that you like the ab thing you put on. It's like a belt and it does the electrical stimulation to you know, give you that nice six pack without doing anything. Um, the, the problem is you can, you can externally electrically stimulate muscle and get it to contract, um, but that's not the kind of electrical stimulation I'm talking about in terms of this ATP depletion because the amount of electrical stimulus you would have to give externally to get a muscle to contract that hard uh, would be too painful to withstand. So the kind of muscle stimulus I'm talking about, the electrical muscle stimulus, is actually where you use an animal model and you take out a piece of muscle and you connect a, um, 
you connect it to a, an electrical stimulation device, so it's not anything that can be done externally because it just hurts too much to, to try to stimulate the muscle from outside like that, okay? All right, so we've got this important energy source that um, uh, breaks down from creatine phosphate to creatine. So sort of the question is, if, if it's important and we want to be able to do this kind of activity repetitively, how do we get creatine then to come back to creatine phosphate? Where did we get the creatine from uh, in the first place? How do, where, where does it come from? Diet. Yeah. Diet. You either eat it in what kind of food sources? Yes. Protein or meat, okay. If you don't eat meat, how do you get it? Your body makes it, right? Your liver, your kidneys, other tissues, if you've got... Uh, the appropriate amino acids, your body can make creatine, okay? So if we've used creatine phosphate, uh, let's say we've sprinted 100 meters as fast we, as we can, uh, we've used up a lot of this creatine phosphate in order to get this back to here, do you have to sit down and eat a big steak? Yeah. <laughs> you might like to. <laughs> Okay. Well, how do, how do we get this creatine back to creatine phosphate? Energy. You need energy, right? Because what kind of reaction is this? If we're going to rephosphorylate this, put that phosphate group back on it, what's in that phosphate bond? Energy. energy. So this is what kind of reaction to store energy? Endergonic. It requires some kind of energy source. Okay. Um, here's a, uh, most of you are familiar with uh, MRI. Right? If you, you, you need a clinical diagnostic, they take you to a facility where they put you in this big magnet and the device does an image. Okay? Well, you can also use this MRI this, uh, to do what's called magnetic resonance spectroscopy, and you can use the device to look at, in essence, um, kind of the electrical signal that different molecules give off, if you will. It's not an electrical signal, really. It's, uh, it's a, a signal generated by its, its vibration. Uh, and so this is a study that was done where they looked at the amount of creatine phosphate in a muscle when they had it exercise at high intensity. This is the particular signal for uh, a high-energy phosphate, creatine phosphate, and so what happens is it starts here. Here's the creatine phosphate in the muscle. The, the, the muscle starts exercising at high intensity. The creatine phosphate falls down to here. The exercise stops, and then over some period of time, you see this signal coming back. Okay? And if this is seconds over here, that, that took about a minute or so. Okay? So clearly, the creatine phosphate falls when you exercise at high intensity, and when you stop, it comes back. Uh, here's another study. Uh, this one actually was an electrical stimulation study of, of uh, 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 rat muscle. We use rats sometimes in uh, laboratory studies. So here's the creatine uh, phosphate. And again, notice they use PCR instead of uh, CRP, but it's the same thing. Here's the creatine phosphate levels. There's the electrical stimulation drives creatine phosphate way down, and then over the next several minutes, this creatine phosphate comes back, okay? And so the replenishment of creatine phosphate in the muscle uh, in some cases can take seconds, but if you push it down a long way, might take, you know, so what do we have? After a minute, it's barely back. 
After uh, two or three minutes, it's about halfway back. After five minutes, it looks like it's almost completely back. Okay? And that's after, after electrical stimulation where we push creatine phosphate way down. So basically, if you just rest, it comes back. Okay? So how does it do that? Here's our same scheme over here, muscle producing force, needs energy, uh, ATP. We've got our creatine phosphate splits uh, and we've got the creatine left. We're going to talk about our aerobic energy system or oxidative phosphorylation down the road a little bit. But basically what happens is we use our aerobic energy system to produce ATP energy inside of these organelles in our muscle cells and other cells called mitochondria. Okay. So what happens is this creatine molecule comes over to this mitochondria where it gets the energy that is being uh, produced from this ATP that's being produced aerobically. It gets the energy and a phosphate group to rephosphorylate it as ATP, or as creatine phosphate, I'm sorry. Okay, this is called the creatine shuttle. And notice we're using our aerobic energy system to replace creatine phosphate. Now, we talked about creatine phosphate being one of our anaerobic energy systems, right? So when we were breaking down creatine phosphate to, ref to, to get ATP back, did we use oxygen? No. So uh, let's say for lab tomorrow, we take everybody out to the track and we have everybody sprint 100 meters as fast as you can. Okay. <laughs> And I make your grade based on part of it, so there's no, no slacking. Okay? We, want it, we want a maximal effort. What's probably the predominant energy system you're using for that high-intensity activity? Creatine phosphate, right? So when you get done sprinting 100 meters, are you going to be breathing hard? Yes. No. Why? No, seriously, would you be breathing hard? Yes. Yeah. Well, why? What's the purpose of breathing? It's to bring in what? Oxygen. But it's an anaerobic energy system. So why are, we, why are you breathing hard? Can't you hold your breath while you run 100 meters? Well, during the 100-meter sprint, you're not necessarily rephosphorylating this creatine, uh, creatine phosphate. However, the body knows that you're exercising. It knows that creatine phosphate levels are going down. So what it starts to do is it starts to ramp up your oxygen consumption, your aerobic energy system, because it's going to use that aerobic energy system to rephosphorylate this creatine into creatine phosphate. When you hit 100 meters uh, finish line and you stop, does your heavy breathing stop immediately or go back down to resting? No. Does it stay elevated for some period of time? Yes. Yes. Okay. Even though you're... I was going to say sitting, but you might be lying on the ground, not moving, motionless. So your energy expenditure is not anything at the moment above resting. You're still breathing heavy. Your heart rate is still elevated because you have ramped up your aerobic energy system to, in this case, replace creatine phosphate. Okay? The higher the intensity of the activity, the longer the duration of the activity, the more creatine phosphate you're going to use, the harder you breathe, the longer it stays elevated after the exercise in order to replace the creatine phosphate. And it takes longer. Okay? So, 
When you're doing very high intensity weightlifting as an example, this can give you an idea of the amount of interval time that you need or rest time between sets before you do the next one because you, if, if you're trying to lift very heavy weights, low repetitions and very heavy weights, you want to make sure that you're recovered well and you want to make sure and give yourself an adequate amount of rest to replace the creatine phosphate before you do the next activity or the next interval or the next set. Okay? Question. Would the mitochondria be considered the shuttle in this? The shuttle is the process. Okay. Okay? So the shuttle is the process of the creatine going over to the mitochondria and getting the energy and phosphate and being rephosphorylated to creatine phosphate. Okay? So it's, it's not any one thing, it's the process of that occurring. So that's why I said initially that this creatine phosphate energy system, we call it an anaerobic system. It's anaerobic when we use it to replace ATP, but for it to be replaced itself, it requires use of our aerobic energy system. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Now, let me talk for a minute about, because some of you are probably interested in working with um, clinical populations may go into... Uh, uh, clinical exercise physiology. Um, if you're an exercise science major, you'll take a clinical exercise physiology class anyway. Let's talk about this enzyme creatine kinase a little bit. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about it from a, a, a personal incident that I had when I was in grad school. I was trying to, um, when I was working on my PhD at Ohio State, they have a you know, big research institution. They've got a lot of big research studies that they have grant money. Uh, some of them are require subjects to participate for long periods of time or have certain requirements that are sort of arduous. And so they have uh, funds that they pay people to be subjects in these grants. As a uh, poor graduate student, I, of course, was always on the lookout for uh, to be a guinea pig, uh, a professional guinea pig, uh, to get paid to do certain uh, research studies. Uh, there was a study um, in the medical dietetics department where they were going to feed us um, every day, all of our food uh, for uh, uh, 12 weeks in the fall semester and 12 weeks in the spring semester. So, and, and pretty much the only thing you had to do was show up, eat breakfast, get your lunch, go back for dinner, um, and then every couple of weeks get some blood drawn because they were looking at cholesterol levels. Pretty great study because you know, I don't really cook and have somebody make, make all of your food for you for most of the school year. Pretty good study to be on. So anyway... Uh, they have a, a screening thing where they did a blood test as part of a physical exam to be a subject on this study. And I get this kind of this call from the physician uh, who was the one supervising this. And he says, I need you to meet me over at the Ohio State uh, emergency room right now. <laughs> said, okay, that doesn't sound very good. Can you tell me why? And he said, well, in your blood uh, work, was uh, there was a particular enzyme that was elevated that we suspect you may be having some cardiovascular incident. Uh, so he thought I was having a heart attack. Uh, and you guys have seen on the medical shows and stuff like that when somebody comes in and they suspect they, they always, they, they always want to get the, the blood test and part of it is a, the cardiac enzymes, right? You hear that on the... Okay. Well, what happened is this enzyme that he was worried about was creatine kinase. And in my particular blood test, the creatine kinase levels were high. 
This was long enough ago, I won't tell you exactly how long, but it was long enough ago that we didn't have the ability yet to distinguish between certain what are called isoenzymes or specific <coughs> forms of this enzyme. We do now, and let me explain those and then I'll, I'll go back to my story. Uh, we have, they, they have characterized uh, three specific isoenzymes uh, of creatine kinase. Uh, BB, which is found mostly in brain tissue. MM, which is found mostly in muscle, skeletal muscle. And MB, which is found in brain and muscle, but it's also found it is relatively unique to uh, cardiac muscle, to the myocardial muscle tissue. Okay? Um, what these are is these enzymes have slight differences or variations to them depending on what specific tissue they're in. Um, and so what happens is this enzyme uh, catalyze re catalyzes a reaction where we use creatine phosphate um, and it typically is found within a muscle cell and because of the cell membrane it typically doesn't leak out and is not really found in the blood very much. But if you are having a heart attack and those muscle cells are, those, those uh, heart muscle cells are dying, the muscle cell membrane will rupture and lets out a variety of different things, one of which is creatine kinase. And so you start to see elevations in creatine kinase. Now, what we know now specifically is that clinical measure is CKMB. Okay, they look specifically for CKMB. At that particular time, they couldn't distinguish between the two, and um, I was doing a lot of distance running at the time, and so what happens is you get the same kind of creatine or muscle cell damage, uh, muscle cell membrane disruption, and this enzyme leaking out when you have the kind, when you do the kind of exercise that makes you sore, okay? Like if you haven't lifted for a while and you go to the weight room and you lift weights and you wake up the next morning and you're sore, or you haven't been running much and you go out and you run, you wake up the next morning and you're kind of walking like this, okay? That same kind of activity causes some damage to some muscle cells and causes creatine kinase to leak out, and so it's elevated in your blood. Now we know that that's mostly CKMM and heart muscle is MB. So he thought I was having a heart attack, but it was just because I was actually exercising at the time. So uh, I managed to get on the study and it was, it was good. Okay. Um, all right, let's talk about this enzyme a little bit further. And, and this will give you a little bit of an idea of how uh, uh, some of the, the control mechanisms and sort of the feedback a little bit with this. All right, what I want everybody to do is take your writing utensils and put them down on the table. Okay? I want you to just look at this for a minute. You've got this diagram. You know, you, and I'll give you a chance to go back and take notes in a minute. I just want you to, instead of worrying about scribbling this down, I want you to just look at this for a second. All right, we're exercising, so we need lots of energy. We know we get that energy directly from ATP, okay? So here's our reaction. ATP is splitting, and what's left is ADP, inorganic phosphate. We release that energy for exercise. So we know as we run this reaction, the concentration of ATP is going down and the concentration of ADP is going up, okay? The, the muscle cell senses the ratio of those two things. So if we look, there is a, an increase in the ratio, there is more ADP than ATP, okay? 
the ratio of those two things then stimulates this creatine kinase uh, uh, enzyme to shift to a more active state. And if it is in a more active state, it then catalyzes this reaction to run faster. Okay? Does that make sense? So, but when you're at rest, when you're just sitting here like this, um, what's happening with this reaction? Is it running very fast in your muscles? No. no. So there's not much change in this ratio or these uh, concentrations or this ratio. So what happens to CK activity? Goes down. It stays very moderate. We don't, we don't have to run this reaction because you're, you don't need this energy this quickly. Okay? Now, and you can write again now if you want. I sometimes forget to tell classes that and they start to see stress and panic. Okay, so same thing. All right, same thing. Exercising, breaking down ATP, uh, concentration of ATP goes down, concentration of ADP goes up. So we get an increase in the ratio of ADP to ATP that stimulates this creatine kinase activity, makes this reaction run faster. And so the faster this reaction runs, what happens to the ATP concentration? It starts coming back up, right? So if it starts coming back up, then ATP concentration comes back up, which is a, it starts to reduce this signal, and this goes down, okay? Negative feedback, okay? Negative feedback, okay? If, if we keep exercising at high intensity, we, we keep that, this ratio a little bit high, and we keep running this as long as we can. But if you stop exercising, this runs enough to get ATP concentration back up, which feeds back to then slow this down. Okay? okay well, we talked about on the, on the first real lecture day of class, classic negative feedback mechanism for controlling this chemical reaction. Okay. So, we've got this important energy source, creatine phosphate, stored right in the muscle. It can, replenish, it can help us replenish ATP very quickly. But the problem is it can be depleted with high-intensity exercise. And when it is depleted, we also see that that's associated with muscle fatigue. We can't keep replacing ATP fast enough. ATP starts to fall, and the muscle fatigues. So the question is asked, and it was actually asked in here, can you do something to sort of manipulate that so that we can try to um, improve our performance? Okay? And the answer to that question uh, is in this notion of this idea of creatine loading. Actually, let me... All right, so we'll switch to our creatine supplementation and loading. Okay. How many are familiar with the idea of creatine loading? You heard this term before? Okay. Um, I, I don't want anything that I'd say about this today to, to uh, influence people that I'm a big proponent of creatine loading. And so, in fact, I've, I've uh, uh, titled this creatine supplementation and loading for reasons that I hope will, hope will become clear as we go along here. All right. Uh, that's the outline. This we've already done, so I'm going to skip over that. You know, we've already done, 
You know, this is that model of fatigue with creatine kinase, uh, uh, creatine phosphate uh, essentially being depleted. Okay, that, that we did, and that we just did. Okay, so this is an idea that we're going to try to take some kind of uh, something or, or some kind of strategy to, sort, to try to improve our performance. Okay, and this is a, a term that's often called ergogenic aid. Okay, this term, the term ergo refers to work, and genic means to produce or enhance. Okay, so the idea is that it's something we might take, something we might eat, something we might do to help us improve our performance. Uh, unfortunately, I think that term ergogenic aid oftentimes refers to things that are maybe unethical or illegal, like steroids, um, but it also refers to things that are perfectly legitimate. Uh, if you're an athlete and you want to, let's say you're a runner and you want to improve your running performance, what's probably the first easiest thing you can do to improve your running performance? Run, Run. train. Okay, training is an ergogenic strategy. Okay, we'll talk about nutrition as an ergogenic strategy, which is you know perfectly reasonable. Um, there are a variety of different uh, ergogenic uh, strategies that are perfectly reasonable um, that that athletes pursue. There are some that are uh, that are also either unethical or illegal, um, and we'll talk about we'll talk about some of those as we go along. Okay, so this idea with creatine is that we've got this substance that is a fuel that is stored in the body in a certain amount. Okay, So it's sort of like we have this gas tank um, of, of, of this fuel in the body. And so the idea is how can we get more of that in the body? If it's an important fuel source, can we pack more of this fuel source in the body? Okay. I like to refer to this as the uh, uh, this method of ergogenic the strategy as the Chevette principle. Uh, when I was that uh, starving graduate student in high, well, not exactly starving because I managed to get on that one study anyway. Uh, when I was a poor graduate student, the other than my bicycle, my other means of transportation was a 1984 Chevette that had about uh, 150,000 miles on it. This idea of creatine loading is analogous to taking that Chevette and putting a bigger gas tank in it. Okay? You got a fuel and you want to put more of that fuel in the vehicle. Will that make my Chevette go faster? No. In fact, it might slow it down because of the extra weight. Okay? Alright, so it won't necessarily immediately make that Chevette go faster. Okay? But what will it allow that Chevette to do? go longer, could potentially go at its top speed for a longer period of time, okay? All right, tuck that in the back of your mind and, and remember that as we discuss creatine. All right, so the first question is, if we think it might be helpful to, to pack more of this fuel into the body and into the muscles specifically, how do we go about doing that? How do we get a bigger creatine gas tank? All right, well, if we go back to this scheme and we remember that 
Uh, creatine, we either eat it in the food uh, that we consume, particularly meat products, or we synthesize it in the liver, and that's somewhere around two grams a day or so. Okay? That creatine uh, goes into the bloodstream, circulates around the body, is taken up by tissues like muscle and phosphorylated. Uh, at the same time, we lose about two grams of creatine a day that we excrete in the form of creatinine. Okay? So the, the easy answer to this is we just need to eat more of it, right? Uh, I don't really know of a means that we can induce the body to produce more. Uh, the, the liver is an example to produce more. So the other easy strategy is we just eat more, okay? Um, the studies of creatine to see if we can increase the amount that we pack in the body um, instead of consuming about 2 grams a day they went up to about 20 grams a day okay so they increased creatine intake by about 10 times now you can do this with food and so what are the best sources of creatine in food meat okay now when you cook meat and you heat it up enough uh, to cook it, you actually denature protein so you lose some of the creatine content. So the best source of creatine in food is raw meat. So in order to get 20 grams of creatine a day by eating food, you'd have to eat about 10 pounds of raw meat. Okay? Some of you are going, yeah, okay. Pardon? Uh, they do, but you would have to eat about uh, five dozen eggs. Oh, yeah. Okay? So the, the amount of food that contains creatine that you would have to eat to get this amount of creatine is, is well, I don't even know if it's possible to physically do it, but it's possible, all right? Um, so what people tend to do instead is they take the creatine as a supplement. And that's where it comes in, where you get it in the, you know, the one kilogram tubs that you get from General Nutrition Center. And it comes in a variety of different forms, creatine monohydrate and, and other different forms. Okay? But it basically is a kind of a purified uh, nutritional supplement. It's almost, and, and this is where things uh, I, I thought got a little weird when creatine first started coming out and being known as a, a supplement for athletes to use, is I think because it was related to strength and power, it was immediately lumped in and talked about the same as anabolic steroids, okay? And uh, I thought that was a big mistake because it's not a manipulation of your endocrine system. It's not taking a controlled substance uh, uh, illegally. It's... It's a naturally occurring food substance that you're taking as a supplement. It's actually not much different than taking uh, uh, Gatorade in a power powdered form. Okay, um, it has a completely different purpose. But I think people got a little, you know, a little crazed about uh, this this idea of taking creatine. Okay, so um, basically, what happens is you ramp up the amount of creatine that you take, and this is this is what's referred to as the loading where people are taking 20 to 25 grams a day, and what happens is that dramatically increases the amount of creatine in the blood, and then therefore the muscle takes up more creatine and phosphorylates some of that. And most of the studies show that for people that are responsive to this, people get about a 20% increase in creatine uh, phosphate in their muscles. Okay. Now, if you're taking a whole bunch more by uh, dietary supplement, 
what's probably happening to your body's ability to, to produce it internally? Okay, we'll, we'll down-regulate that because you're getting plenty from the outside, so there's no reason to, to make any from here. Okay, So you know, we probably uh, ramp down substantially the amount that our tissues are making because we're getting plenty from the, from the uh, 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 dietary side. Do you still excrete only here today? Uh, no, good question, because I should probably actually change this too because not, notice you're only increasing the amount in the muscle by about 20%, so there's going to be a good bit of excess here. Okay, And in fact, what studies show is that your, your urinary creatinine levels do go up. Okay, you do excrete more creatinine. Now, some people, question. Does that increase your filtration rate too? Because like, I noticed when I'm taking it, like, it definitely goes off. Yeah, it's osmotic. So, you know, it's an osmotic particle. Uh, uh, part particle. So that's, if you've got more of that in your urine, your urine is, is going to become more dilute because you pull more water in there to try to dilute that osmotic um, particle. And so you tend to have a greater diuresis, which is a you know a flow of urine. Um, now, uh, one of the other things that you know people kind of get crazed about with creatine and creatine supplementation is because this is being filtered and excreted by the kidneys. People worry about kidney damage. Okay, kind of in the same vein that people talk about high protein diets being possibly injurious to the kidneys. Uh, as it turns out. The studies that I've seen that have looked at athletes that are taking fairly substantial amounts of, of uh, creatine, urinary creatinine does go up, but it goes up in the high normal range and does not go into the range that would be considered um, that the kidneys are having difficulty. That is if people have normal kidney function. If anybody has any, any difficulty with kidneys, if they've been a kidney donor and they've only got one kidney, if they've got any kind of underlying kidney disease, not a good idea. Okay? But otherwise, if people have normally functioning kidneys, it does not seem to be a big issue or problem. Okay? All right. So um, we're, we're going we're gonna to pump up the amount of creatine that we take in, and the result is... Uh, we suppress the endogenous production, uh, we increase our excretion of creatinine, but the kind of the element we're really interested in is it looks like the muscle levels go up about 20%. Not in everybody, there are some non-responders, um, but it looks like on average probably about 20%. Okay, so creatine in the blood goes up, creatine in the muscle, and creatine phosphate in the muscle goes up. Does it really help performance? Okay. Does it help you get stronger, faster, more powerful? Okay. Well, let's look at one of the original creatine studies where they looked at the amount of creatine in muscle and looked at uh, what happened. Okay. So the first study they did was they loaded people. They gave them 20 grams a day for six days. Now, they don't give you 20 grams all at one sitting. Okay. Typically, and the, the typical way you do this is just split that up over uh, uh, typically four or even five servings across the day. Okay, so if you're getting 20 grams a day, usually it's five grams four times a day. And what you do is you mix this stuff up either in water or a more current thing to do is to mix it up in uh, uh, some kind of sports drink like Gatorade or Powerade that's got some carbohydrate in it. Okay, so here's what happens um, when they give them that. So here's the number of days of the study. Here's the creatine levels in the muscle. 
So we're going to give them 20 grams a day for six days, and then we're going to stop giving it to them. So here's what happens. Here's a normal resting level. goes up, and then over the next three weeks or four weeks or so, the levels come down, down. Now, I don't have another one out here, but okay. So it seems to work. You give people the extra creatine uh, by loading them up, and it goes up, and when you stop giving it to them, it comes down, but look, it takes, you know, after um, uh, a month, really, you're still not even back down to where you were before, okay? So it stays elevated for some period of time. So then they said, well, what, can, what happens if we load them, and then instead of quitting completely, we give them a, a supplemental dose of about two grams a day. What will that do? And so what they find is, same result, we increase about 20%, and this time it stays elevated for that period of time because they're getting uh, uh, essentially now double. Okay? So their, their intake is double what they normally would eat plus an extra two grams a day. Okay? So it works. Now, they also thought, well, instead of giving people this massive dose for the first six days, what happens if we just give them a little bit every day uh, extra? What will that do? And so the first thing we see on here is, you know, that's the loading them uh, and quitting. That's the loading and giving them two grams a day. And now they're going to just start off giving them three grams a day. Okay, no big loading dose. Let's just give them three grams a day and see what happens. And what they find is, starts here, after a couple of weeks goes to here, after a couple of more weeks goes right up to here. Right? So do you need to take these massive amounts for the first portion of it? No. no. Physiologically, you don't need to. You can get the muscle up to the same level just by supplementing uh, two, three, four grams a day instead of taking 20 grams a day. Okay? You can get up to the same levels. Now, it takes longer because it takes them a month to get up there. So, you know, if the athlete has not planned their training and, and uh, supplementation program very well and, uh, and, they, and they all of a sudden have to increase their levels quickly, then you may, they may have to load. That's why I'm not a big fan of loading. One of the adverse effects that people have talked about in using creatine um, is gastrointestinal problems. Well, you could take almost any nutrient in our diet, and if overnight you increase your intake of it 10 to 15 times, you're probably going to have gastrointestinal problems. Okay? So um, I'm not a big fan of loading, and I think if people are going to use creatine as a supplement, if they plan appropriately, they can just modestly supplement their diet and, and achieve the same thing. Okay, so I'm not a big fan of loading. Okay, so does it affect performance? Does it help these athletes get bigger, faster, stronger, more powerful? Um, does giving the Chevette a bigger gas tank make it go faster? All right, well, let's see. Uh, study done at Penn State used uh, 19 athletes. Um, they did pre-tests of these athletes for a variety of things, uh, you know, body mass, body composition. The one I'm going to focus on is one rep max bench press right here, okay? Um, so they divided them into two groups where they got either the, a placebo or they got creatine. 
The group getting the creatine got 25 grams a day for a week. Um, and then, so basically they got this subject population together. They did a, a one max rep bench press test. Then they gave one group creatine, the other group uh, a placebo for seven days, and then they did a post-test. Okay? So, uh, here's the results. This is the increase in one rep max bench press after a week. Okay? Uh, this is the group that got the placebo. This is the group that got the creatine. They both increased their one rep max bench press, but there was no significant difference between uh, either group. Okay? Uh, why, why might people increase their one rep max bench press in a week? They were tired when they did the test. Could have been tired when they did the first test, the pre-test. Why else? Even if you're in the placebo group, you think you're taking the supplement. Okay. One of it might be that placebo effect, which is why you include a placebo group, right? Because if we just took a group of people, and this is one of the things where you have to be careful about these anecdotal responses. You talk to people and they say, well, yeah, I've been using creatine and it seems to work for me. Okay? Well, and it might, but it, it might also have worked if you were just taking, you know, cornstarch powder and you thought it was creatine. And that literally is what you see sometimes, is people are taking something, that's the placebo effect. People are taking something, and so it, it makes them seem like they're getting stronger, and so they maybe put forth more effort or whatever. Okay? So that might be a placebo effect. If we had not had this group in here, you see this increase, and you might conclude, you know, these folks uh, in one week, by taking creatine, increase their one rep max, and, and they really didn't. Okay? Um, the other thing might be, even these athletes, these were uh, uh, intercollegiate level athletes, um, don't typically do one rep max, uh, and so there's a learning effect. You do a one rep max effort, and a lot of cases you come back even a couple of days later, you can do more the next time because of a bit of a learning effect. Okay, So there may be a variety of different reasons, but nonetheless, what happened is giving these athletes a bigger creatine gas tank did not make them immediately stronger overnight. Okay, Because this actually was, if you look at the statistical analysis, there was no significant difference between the groups and that this was also not a statistically significant increase. Okay, So putting a bigger gas tank in the Chevette did not make it go faster. Not immediately. Okay. Well, these researchers... Uh, we're smart enough to think about, well, what happens if we train these athletes over some period of time and the ones who got the creatine loading dose will give them a supplement of creatine. So they got the loading dose and then for the next 12 weeks they gave them a maintenance dose of 5 grams of creatine a day. And over this 12 weeks they did a uh, well-organized heavy resistance or strength training program over the next 12 weeks. And then they retested their one rep max bench press again. And here's what they found. Here's our placebo group. So with 12 weeks of a well-designed strength training program, were they likely to improve their one rep max and their bench press? Sure, and in fact they did. That was a significant increase in their one rep max. 
Here's the other group that was, that was matched for physical uh, characteristics. They did the exact same training, um, uh, exact same uh, structured training, but they were getting creatine. And over the 12 weeks, their one rep max bench press went up significantly higher than this group right here. Okay? So they didn't get stronger immediately within that first week of taking the creatine, but taking it over 12 weeks, actually 13 weeks, in conjunction with a heavy strength training program, they got stronger than the other group. Well, why? The researchers kept track of each of the sets that they did in their bench press training and how many repetitions they did. And if you average this over the five sets, it's about eight more reps. Okay, so the, the extra creatine in their muscles didn't make them stronger immediately. The extra gas in the Chevette didn't make it faster immediately, but it allowed them to keep going at that same intensity for a longer period of time. They were able to do more repetitions. And if you're strength training and you're lifting the same weight as somebody else, but you're able to do eight more reps in every workout, who's going to get stronger? The person doing the more training volume. And in fact, this is the kind of stuff I do during my office hours when nobody comes by to see me. You know, I, I get bored. So eight reps per workout, three workouts a week, 52 weeks a year, you're doing over 1,000 more repetitions than the other person. Who's going to get stronger? Who's going to get faster? Okay? So that appears to be the role of creatine as a supplement. Um, it appears to be able to help athletes increase the amount of creatine and creatine phosphate in their muscles. It appears to help them be able to do more repetitions or more intervals, more training volume, high intensity training volume, which when you do that over time, helps those athletes become stronger and or more powerful. Okay? Would there be a difference if you were to supplement creatine monohydrate or creatine phosphate? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think a lot of the differences that you see in products that are out there I don't think the science really, even though, I think it's mostly marketing. Um, you know, a lot of the different products, these companies have a vested interest in you buying their product over, over somebody else's. And they, you know, there's all kinds of different manipulations with the, um, uh, with the substance itself, with the product itself. Um, I've not seen enough evidence to suggest that there is one specific form or type of creatine that's a supplement that has significant advantages over, over anything else. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the one thing that I've seen that does seem to help is if the creatine is consumed along with a carbohydrate source because the carbohydrate gets your, helps get your insulin up, which seems to help increase the uptake of creatine into the muscle. So that is one thing that I've seen that, that may be beneficial in terms of the, the pattern of uptake or, or, uh, of creatine. I'm not familiar that there's any specific form. And I've, you know, over the years, you know, I've seen probably you know, four or five or six different types or formats or formulas or whatever. And I, I don't think there's enough difference in them. It's almost ask, like asking is, uh, which is better, Powerade or Gatorade? And in fact, they're, they're both, pardon? <laughs> It, 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 well, it depends on what town you live in, right? You know, I mean, uh, you know, Powerade's a Coke product, so of course it's Powerade. Um, it, 
as long as, and we'll talk about this more down the road when we get to sports drinks, but as long as the sports drink is in within certain parameters of the type of carbohydrate and the concentration, they're both going to work probably equally as well. Um, and, and actually, if you look at their advertising, advertising very carefully, Gatorade is an example. You'll see all over their advertising, nothing works better. Okay, which is probably which is accurate. They can't in their advertisement say ours works better than anything else because that's not true. You know that would be false advertising. So it's the same sort of thing. They can say nothing works better, but if it, you're in the within the um, kind of parameters, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference. So, okay. Um, all right, we've already talked about these a little bit. Um, Uh, particularly when creatine first started showing up on the athletic scene and people were using it, you, you heard a lot of anecdotal evidence. You know, football teams started using it and uh, people started reporting greater incidences of muscle cramps. Um, people would start to report, you know, bloating, gastrointestinal distress, that kind of thing. Um, uh, to date, I'm not w aware of any good systematic study that relates. Uh, creatine use to any specific adverse effect. Okay, so I, I, I don't I don't think there's anything that you can really legitimately claim there's a reason uh, um, not to do that for some medical reason, other than if somebody does, has kidney dysfunction. Okay, the only documented adverse reaction, and some people not e might not even consider this to be adverse but is weight gain. Okay? A lot of cases, athletes that are looking to increase their strength and power want to gain weight. And with the loading, if you load with creatine, most people see about a five or six pound weight gain in that first week of loading. Okay? Now, is that muscle? No. no. And, and creatine is an osmotic substance. In fact, most of that weight gain early on, and this has been well documented now with body composition studies, most of that weight gain early on is water weight. Okay? Now, there are, and if you go back and look at the Volick study, I don't think I put it in I don't think I put it in here. I didn't. But one of the things they looked at in the Volick study was uh, body composition. Okay? And one of the things they found is that the 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 subjects who got the creatine not in the first week but over the 12 weeks of the training, gained more lean mass than the people who got the placebo. Okay. Well, why did they gain more lean mass than the people who got the placebo? They did more work. There was a greater training volume, a greater stimulus to the muscle, and so they gained more lean mass. Okay. So, um, quite typical of a lot of the ergogenic aids we'll talk about in here. Not all of them, but a lot of them. You know, creatine is not some magic powder. You, you don't take creatine uh, and lay around on the couch for a week and suddenly you're, you know, a, a super athlete, okay? Um, okay, so it's not a magic pill. Okay, it's not a ma in this case, it's a magic powder, I suppose. So most of it comes in powdered form. Um, it, it does appear to work but it does appear to work in conjunction with an appropriate training program. 
Okay? Now, what kind of sports or, or activities or what kind of athletes? It's very specific to athletes in, in certain types of sports or activities. Does a long-distance runner or a, um, a triathlete need to use creatine? No. Okay? Because those are endurance-oriented activities, uses a completely different energy system. Um, people sometimes do ask me, and there have been a couple of studies, well, what about that sprint at the end of one of the stages of the Tour de France? Okay, well, creatine may have helped you train harder to, to get more powerful leg muscles for that sprint, but the problem is you had to ride your bike 130 miles before you got to that sprint, okay? And if you're carrying an extra five or six pounds of muscle weight, chances are you're not going to be close enough to the front of the pack to come anywhere uh, close to making that sprint count, okay? So... In endurance activities, it's oftentimes a big issue of, of aerobic power per weight, and so the extra weight and the extra muscle doesn't help. Okay, so it's really not a thing for endurance athletes. How about, um, you know, let's say you're working in a, in a, uh, uh, at a fitness club, and you've got your, uh, you know, uh, uh, middle-aged male who's starting to, to train and lift some weights, and he wants to get stronger. Good way to get stronger quick is use creatine, right? Why wouldn't you have this person take creatine? What might you have them do instead? Instead of taking creatine. Before you had them eat more meat. Um, before you, what did you say? Before you had them uh, blood dope, which is, uh, uh, well, you, you would probably have this person just work out a little more. <laughs> okay? Um, so again, this is a strategy you're talking about for athletes that have achieved a certain level and they're looking for a strategy to try to move to a, a little bit higher level. Okay? Not, um, you know, it's not a substitute for training. Okay. Uh, there are people, most people are probably responders. There are some people that are non-responders. They just don't, they don't take up any extra creatine. doesn't work for them. Um, if the individual has any kind of kidney disease or dysfunction or anything like that, probably not a good idea. Uh, typically, their physicians and dietitians will steer them away from high-protein diets anyway. Um, so, not a good idea. Uh, the typical loading regimen is about 20 to 25 grams a day, split up in about four or five doses. Um, but again, I don't think loading is necessary unless you just haven't planned and, and there's some time urgency. Instead, what seems to be more reasonable is to supplement creatine uh, on the order of about three, two, three, four, five grams a day, probably depending on the person's body size. Okay? A 300-pound uh, uh, football player you know, might be on the upper end of that scale. A 98-pound uh, you know, uh, weight class weightlifter would be on the lower end of that scale. It does seem, regardless of the other forms, it does seem that consuming it with carbohydrate uh, seems to enhance the uptake a little bit. Um, there is some evidence that caffeine uh, kind of interferes with the loading. Um, so if you actually are doing that loading process, probably want to avoid or just not consume a whole lot of caffeine during that period. Uh, stay well hydrated because it does provoke some diuresis uh, and increase in, in uh, urine output. And then, like anything else, 
document any adverse effects, and if it's giving you any problems, just stop using it. I mean, creatine is a is a basically a protein that's normally found in food, and so it, it's it's I, I think it's analogous to manipulating carbohydrates. How endurance athletes manipulate carbohydrates. This is sort of analogous for the strength and power athlete. Okay, it's not that big a deal. Uh, there there are issues though with supplements. If an athlete is at the level that they're participating in sports where there's drug testing, whether it's at a national uh, or international, you know, or even some on the collegiate level, there are lots of studies out there now where they have looked at supplements that you go and buy at your typical nutrition store and they analyze these supplements. And a lot of times the same companies that make these supplements make other things and they come down the same manufacturing line and these supplements get tainted with other substances and there have been plenty of examples of international class athletes that have had to serve doping bans because substances have wound up in their body that they didn't intend to. So if you're an athlete that participates in a sport at a level or you're working with athletes, um, you've got to be careful because um, uh, you, you can't always be certain about the purity of these supplements. Okay? So, yes? Uh, once you stop taking creatine after maybe a couple months, does mm-hmm. your liver go back to the same creatine production level? Sure, it does. It's, it's not any kind of uh, permanent adverse effect. That essentially, if, if your body is sensing high levels of creatine because you're consuming a lot, your liver is just going to not produce as much. But then when you get to the point, and again, remember, when you stop taking the supplement, it's probably going to take a month or so for you to get back down to those normal muscle levels. The body senses now a lower creatine level, and it'll start gearing up its endogenous production just fine. Yeah, so it doesn't seem to be any any permanent sort of effect there at all. Okay. All righty. Um, lab tomorrow. Class Tuesday. Tuesday we'll spend some time talking about this journal article. Okay, and it'll be due next Thursday.